You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to study verses 12 through 14 this morning. And, uh, but I want to read a little bit more uh, uh, to keep it in context. Context is, is really important and when we come to Bible study and, and the immediate context of uh, these verses in verses 12 through 14 is, is verse 1, uh, where Paul asked that question uh, that his critics were asking, uh, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if this grace is as good as you say it is and it abounds uh, even more than our sins, when, why, why shouldn't we just keep on sinning? That was the... the what the Paul's critics were asking. So Paul is answering that question, and he teaches us a lot about our, our walk as Christians, uh, about our relationship to sin and sanctification and how we grow as Christians in holiness. So let's begin reading in verse 6, and uh, we'll go through 14. We know, he writes, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members. Present them to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we ask that, again, we, we confess, Lord, that uh, how much we need you this morning, and, and uh, we need your continual grace in our lives. But we also know that you've brought us from death to life, and you've called us, Lord, to stop sinning. And we pray for your help in doing this and that your word would help us even today to instruct and encourage and exhort us. And I pray that you would use me uh, as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The other context we need to keep in mind as we come to this passage is, is the historical context in which Paul is writing this letter to believers who are in Rome. Uh, just to remind you, the city of Rome was, of course, the capital of the Roman Empire. It was kind of the hub of the world at that time. It was the city. Um, and, and not surprisingly, it was also uh, the most vile and wicked and immoral city in the world. Uh, Lawson writes this about it. It was a cesspool of iniquity. It was a city that was ranked with every kind of licentious sin imaginable. 
the imperial city would have made Sodom and Gomorrah blush. In this city was everything from fornication to adultery, lesbianism, homosexuality, bestiality, robbery, lying, arrogance, pride, brutalities, slavery, forced labor, rape, polygamy, idolatry, murder, atheism, and even more. He writes, there were no moral restraints left. Now, that's quite a picture of, of a city, and yet it was in the midst of this kind of culture that a church had been born there. Imagine that. Think of the power of God unto salvation. Amen? This church, that, that it could be born in this kind of environment, how hopeful that is. And you can also imagine these believers, though... Uh, new in their faith, these believers who were trying to survive in the midst of this sea of sin. And the challenges that would come to that, if we pause, it's not that hard to imagine, is it? Because the description that I just read a moment ago resembles much of the world in which we live today, does it not? Think of the pressures on these believers to conform to the ungodliness around them, to go back to where they were. Think of the temptations that they were facing to turn back to their old way of life, to compromise their convictions, to give in, to accept and affirm the cultural decay that was around them. Lawson, again, these saints, he writes, were not in the Bible Belt. They did not grow up in church. There was not even a church in Rome before their conversion. They had been dramatically regenerated and sovereignly birthed into the kingdom of heaven. And now on this new path, they were trying to live in a godly manner in a godless culture. That's exactly right. And so part of what Paul is doing here is he's laying out, he's outlining for them, if you will, this is how you live the Christian life. This is how you put one foot in front of the other in a godless world in which God has called you to leave. He's brought you into a, a new kingdom under a new dominion and, and a holy life, newness of life. Here's how you walk uh, in that kind of newness of life. And the key point that Paul is trying to make again in verse 2, he says, we died to sin... How can we go on living in it? We died to it. Verse 11, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, now notice he does not say that sin is dead in you. He says that we are dead to sin. And there's a big difference there. It's important for us to understand this as we look at verses 12 and 14 and his command there, let not sin reign. Sin is not dead in you and me, right? It's very much alive. And as long as we are in these physical bodies that we have, we will not be free from the presence of sin, at least until we die or Jesus comes back. Sin is always striving for mastery and control. When you became a Christian, it did not stop. But the good news is, is that when you became a Christian, its power over you was broken. This is what Paul's been saying. You don't have to be enslaved by it. Whereas used to, you were not able not to sin. Now that you are in Christ, you are able not to sin. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. And the very key to growing spiritually is counting yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is not an experiential matter. 
This is not a matter of feelings. This is a matter of fact, Paul says. You and I died to sin when we came to Christ. We are now new creatures, new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, but alive to God. So how does this help in our fight uh, with sin? Lloyd-Jones offers a couple of examples that I think are are helpful to us as as we just begin to apply this and think about it. If, If you consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God, one of the first effects is that the next time that you fall into sin, you will not question whether or not you've been saved. You think of that and how often that that happens. I'm sure the thoughts crossed your mind. You sin, and then the devil comes and whispers into your ear, and he whispers something like, now you thought you were a Christian, didn't you? But obviously you're not. And then you listen to him, and, and we tend to drift toward despair. But if you understand what Paul is teaching here in Romans 6, you will never again give in to that thought. Verse 9 through 11, because we know that Christ... Being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin. You understand what he's saying. You cannot go in and out of grace. You're not saved one day and then unsaved the next day because of this. You're either under the dominion of sin and Satan or you're under the dominion of grace and Jesus. And when you sin, it's not that you cease to be a child of God anymore. Just as the fact when your own child disobeys you and sins against you, that they cease being your child, of course not. The same is true of us as Christians when we sin against God. We know, verse 9, that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over That change that took place in your life, that salvation... That that took place is irreversible, church. And so this truth is one of great assurance to us. But it's certainly not a motivation to to sin more, right? When Paul says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, he is saying this is our position in Christ. This is irrespective of your feelings. We sang earlier the first song, I dare not trust the sweetest frame." You understand what that's saying is, my trust is not in my frame of mind. It's not in how I'm feeling, whether I'm feeling good or bad, or or I lived really well this week for God and I feel really good. It's not about that at all. My trust is wholly and exclusively in Jesus Christ. A fact. Something that's happened to me. Irrespective of feelings and experience. This is also helpful, I think, in our struggle against sin and the hopelessness that we sometimes feel because I'm sure perhaps you've experienced something like this. You sin, and then you say something like, I'm never going to do that again. Right? I'm I'm done with that. From here on out, I'm going to read my Bible every single day, and I'm going to pray every day, and I'm not going to do this or that again. And then you do. And, and, and we say with Paul, as we'll see in chapter 7, verse 24, wretched man that I am. Uh, and, and we think this sin is too strong for me. But when we understand what's being said here in chapter 6, we're reminding ourselves of this truth over and over again. I am no longer under the dominion of sin. 
That's what he says. I'm no longer. I am under a power that is greater than that. The power of grace that we just sang. Grace greater than our sins. And so if God's purpose is to deliver me from every remnant and fragment of sin until one day I am blameless before him. Here's what the scripture says. The good work he began, he will bring it to completion in your life. And when you know that, you can, as we, we quoted Lloyd-Jones last week, who said, you can smile at the devil, right? You can defy him. You can resist him. You don't have to be terrified of him any longer because Christ is in you. He can roar all he wants from that other field. He can woo you and roar at you, but you can resist Him because we are not in this fight alone. We've not been left to ourselves because Christ is in us. We're receiving power from Him and strength from Him, and we are dead to sin but alive to God and Christ Jesus. Be hopeful in this. Now, this knowledge leads Paul to some strong exhortation here and and. Uh, application in verses 12 through 14 because he's told us to consider ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. But now he gives us some specific application. He says, let, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. And there's really kind of two sections there, isn't it, with like two applications under each section. One is the first part is negative, the second is positive. So we look at it this way. First, he commands us to resist militantly our sins. Resist. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't do it, he says. We should do a brief, some brief word studies here to help us understand what Paul's saying. By mortal body there, Paul, I think, means simply all of you, like your whole self, all of it. From verse 11, our thoughts our imagination, our understanding, our emotions, our feelings, all of that is included. And then also your body, your literal body, your life. The activities of your body. What you would engage in, where you would go. That, that, I think that's what he means by mortal body. He makes it even clearer in the second command, doesn't he? Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. So mortal body meaning all of you, but members, now he says, I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. I'm talking about the members of your body. The members, the parts. We're not allowed sin to reign in our bodies as a whole, but he says we're also not to present any single part of our lives to sin. Oh, so I, I'm just looking at inappropriate images on my computer. There's no harm to that, right? Wrong. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Your eyes, your mind, don't do this. The word present means to offer. It means to allow to be used. We must not 
yield ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our actions, any of that. We must not yield it to instruments for unrighteousness, right? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the answer? By no means. The word instruments is an interesting word, and it could be translated weapons. In fact, it is translated weapons often. Do not present or yield your body or parts of yourself to sin that, that He may use them as weapons in the warfare of God. Weapons. That's one reason why I put resist militantly, because Paul is using that kind of terminology here. He's reminding us that we're in a war, that we're in a battle here. Don't present yourself to the enemy, he says. Don't present anything in you to be used as a, a weapon, as an instrument for sin. And of course, the ultimate objective of sin and the devil and all that belongs to that realm, the dominion of darkness, is to lead to unrighteousness. That's that last word in verse 13. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That refers to anything that's opposed to God. God is a righteous God. He is a holy God. Unrighteousness is everything that is opposed to to God. Anything that is not upright, anything that is not true, anything that is not beautiful, holy, and righteousness. We must never allow a single part of us to become an instrument of sin, a weapon that leads to unrighteousness. Paul said something similar in, in Colossians chapter uh, 3, verses 5 through 8, when he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He gives us a list of things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, he says, In these things you once walked, you were living in them. But now, he says, you must put them away. Anger, he goes on, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. It's the same thing. It's literally, don't do it. Don't present yourself to any of these things, but put them to death. Resist militantly because, resist militantly because you are dead to sin, but alive to God. Resist it. Now, now, don't miss the significance of what Paul is saying and the thrust that is here, because I think this is a, a really important, uh, vital principle for the Christian life and our pursuit of holiness, uh, for your fight against sin. I, I think, again, we tend to make our struggle with sin, or our fight for holiness, more about our experiences and our feelings. Uh, we're kind of masters, is I think it's one of the most fatal mistakes you could make in your sanctification. That is to start with you. To start with you, your feelings, your experiences about these things. To start with yourself. You think, well, I got this struggle, or I got that struggle, and I need therapy. No, what, what Paul is saying here is that most of us don't need therapy, we just need theology. We need truth. We don't need man-centered answers to our problems. In a real sense, what most of us need is not a doctor, in fact. We need a drill sergeant. This is the picture. Someone getting up in our face and shouting the commands of God to us 
as Paul is doing here. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your body. Do not present your members to sin. Holiness is not a matter of your feelings or your experiences. It is a matter of action and obedience, church. And so here's what, what sometimes we find. Pastor, well, you don't understand. You just don't, you don't understand how difficult this is for me and you don't understand what background that I'm coming from or what world in which I'm living in and you don't know how I'm feeling about these things none of that changes the command of God and, and so it's easy we can default back to those things and we can read all of that into what Paul is saying here but, but it, it, in essence he's saying if you're a Christian you're a new creation in Christ the medicine has already been given, and now you must heed the voice of your general, of your master, Jesus Christ. Resist the reign of sin in your body. Do not give into it. Don't let it reign in you. Hear the voice of Sergeant Major Paul this morning. Stop it, he says. Don't present any part of yourself. Get rid of this excuses and the sentimental and the flabby and the emotional and all this fatal interest in yourself and stop wallowing in self-pity and excuses as to why and quit worrying about what everybody else is thinking and quit looking to moral therapeutic deism as the answers. Forget yourself, Paul says. Heed the voice of Jesus. We belong to Him. He has set us free from sin and He loves us. Amen. That's what he's saying. Paul often spoke in language like this, by the way. He's not very soft. You pause and you think about it, 1 Timothy 6, 12. What does he say about the Christian life? Fight the good fight of faith. Fight, he says. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Strong language. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His mind. Put on the whole armor of God. Again, perhaps a, a good picture is when you wake up tomorrow in your devotional time uh, with your quiet morning and your little cup of coffee. Maybe you need to hear the drill sergeant Paul come to you. Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. Well, I'm tired. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Now, I know it's tough language again, but I think it's exactly what Paul is saying and, and frankly, how he is saying it. And, and by the way, I would tell you, this is gospel talk, church. This is gospel language. This is what it means to live the Christian life. Now, it's not all of it, right? Paul has more to say here, but it's a big part of it. Christianity never stops at just the negative. We're not simply called to be moral. So there is more than what Paul is saying. We're called to be sanctified, aren't we? So here's the second part of this. Yield joyfully. Yield joyfully. Resist militantly. Yield joyfully. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And again, present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Because of what Jesus has done for us, he says, notice bringing us from death to life. 
that it is possible for us to yield ourselves and our members to God to be used for righteousness. This is, this is an incredibly practical statement of sanctification, maybe one of the most in all of the Bible. How do you live for God? I want to live for God. How do you live for God? How do you live a holy life? He answers it right here, doesn't he? Present yourselves to God, your members to God as instruments, as weapons for righteousness. Think of the application of this. Certainly, we've already noted, he means present your mind, right? Present your mind to God. The mind is a part of your members, a part of yourself. Uh, uh, Paul, he's already said it, consider yourselves in verse 11, but he's going to come back in chapter 12, and you know these verses very well. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Part of what we're to present to God is our minds. What are you doing with your mind? What are you giving your thoughts to, church? If you continually fill your mind with uh, things that are secular and sinful, you will remain secular and sinful. But, but if you, on the other hand, if you're giving your mind to God, presenting it to God, thinking about His Word, memorizing, reading good Christian books, or having conversations with other believers on godliness, these kinds of things will lead to righteousness in your life. Are you presenting your mind to God? Present your eyes and ears as instruments of righteousness. I, I, I think that's a, a fair interpretation here. Present your members, present your eyes, present your ears. Don't, don't think that this is unimportant. Don't think this has nothing to do with your... It has everything to do with your Christian life. Oh, remember Eve in the very beginning. You, you remember the temptation, it says, that when she saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, she took some and ate. What are you looking at? What are you giving your eyes to seeing? Remember Achan in the Old Testament after the battle of Jericho. He said, uh, confessing his sin to Joshua, he says, Truly I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and bars of gold. Then I coveted them and I took them. It started with what he was looking at. What are you looking at? What are you giving your eyes and your ears to? And then again, if you're inundating yourself with TV and movies and music that is unrighteous, all, all, how do you expect to grow in holiness to God? Can you honestly read the Scripture and conclude that offering your eyes and your ears has no bearing on your spiritual life? Oh, it does, Christian. It does. And, and, and I understand that there's much in the world that you cannot help but see and look at, Right? Unfortunately, we're we're living in Rome. But what Paul is saying is, why would you willingly offer yourself to these things? 
Why would you choose to? This is not, again, this is not, you're being legalistic. This has nothing to do with legalism. This has everything to do with holiness and the gospel of Jesus Christ on your life. What are you seeing, giving your eyes and your ears to? Uh, the third, we, we might say, present your tongue to God as an instrument of righteousness. Your tongue. Uh, James 3 has a lot to say about the power of that member he calls the tongue. James 3 verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member. You can hear the language of Paul. We wouldn't say that member, but it's a small member. It's a small part. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, he says, a world of, what's the word? Unrighteousness. Same as what Paul is language he's using, unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. We present our tongues as weapons of unrighteousness when we use them to gossip or we use them to spread rumors, or we use them to slander, or we use them to lie or complain. But Paul says, yield your members, yield your tongue to the Lord. Are you? You present your tongue to God and ask Him to use it as an instrument of righteousness for His glory. Are you using your tongue to recite Scripture, to worship, to speak the truth and love, to get to know people, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you presenting it to God as, right, as a tool for righteousness? I know we could keep going. Present your hands and feet. There's a lot of body parts, right? Present your hands and feet as instruments of righteousness. And, 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 and again, the Scripture calls us to this. This is a metaphor, I think, for, for doing and going. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 10 and 12, we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Give your hands, in other words, to constructive things. What are you giving your hands to do? Are you giving your hands to God as an instrument of righteousness, service in the church, living for God? What are you giving your feet to do? Are you, are you allowing your feet to take you to places where you shouldn't be going? You, you, again, you're not going to grow in godliness by, by going places where sin is celebrated and affirmed. Rather, offer your feet to God, he says. Offer your feet to God to take you to church every time the doors open. Offer your feet to God to take you across the room to tell someone about Jesus, to pray for someone. Paul will say in Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, this is a battle that we're being called to wage. We, we are in His army. We're, we're fighting the greatest battle there is in order that our lives might be given wholly to Jesus, to Him. 
so that His glory would be seen in the world, so that when the world would see us, they would know there is a difference in that person than in other people that I know. They seem to be different because they are different. They're new creations in Christ. Those people have been brought from death to life. The gospel has really changed them. It really is the power of God unto salvation. And we do all of this joyfully. We yield joyfully, he says. Those who are still in Adam under the reign of sin may scratch their heads and say, why would anybody live this way? Why would anybody give themselves like this? We do so because of what Christ has done for us, right? Where does the joy come from? It's right there in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. We don't do this because of the law. We don't do this because we have to. We do this because we are recipients of amazing grace, church. We yield joyfully. We live as those who have lost their hopelessness. We live as those who have lost their depression. We live those who have lost their despair because we have been raised to walk in newness of life. And we're looking to the glory that is to come, a glory that Paul says is already ours in Jesus Christ because it's for certain that one day we will stand, as we sang earlier, faultless before His throne, blameless because of Christ. What great encouragement and joy that we have in this. That one day we will stand before Him free of the presence of sin. That our very body will be glorified and will be free from the presence of sin once and for all. This is where all of this is heading. And, and once you realize and understand that, you will hate your sin. And by grace, you will resist it militantly. And you will yield yourself to God joyfully. Now, if you're not united to Christ, you can't yield yourself like this. You're under the dominion of sin and the law. And one day you will stand before Him as well, but in judgment. But what a grace of God to hear this today because the good news is Jesus has defeated sin and death on his cross. It is finished. And if you will turn from your sin and self and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will you? Do that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and uh, for the clear instruction of it, Lord, though we know that we cannot do these things apart from your Holy Spirit in us. And so, Lord, help us today as we've heard this to heed Paul's message, to stop making excuses and to resist our sin militantly and yield ourselves joyfully to you for righteousness. We pray for those, Lord, that do not know you today and perhaps who in hearing this are, are still a bit confused by why would anyone do this. I pray that you would impress upon them now 
And why would anyone lay down their life and die for them on the cross? Especially God, doing this to save them. Open their eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ and be saved today. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.